0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everyone. Welcome to the Essentials Program here in Heichal Torah, the holy city of Jerusalem, right outside the Western Wall Plaza, overlooking the Temple Mount. I'm highly suggesting that anyone watching this video shows up here and experiences this class in three D. Be part of the magic. We are, right now, uh, lights on on my battery, by the way, it's charging. Light on down there? I don't know why I'm asking, it's always on. Yes. Today we're going to discuss regret. And regret is, has a definition, so let me give you the definition. Regret is, if I had the clarity then that I do now, I would never have done it. Shall I say that again? The definition of regret is if I would never have done it or avoided doing it, depending on what it is. What's that tell you about regret? <coughs> that tells you that whatever you did, whatever you did when you did it, you had no clarity. <laughs> or at least you didn't have enough clarity. And since you had no clarity, because were, we're all, you're always dealing with whatever is in your deck at the time, like talking about having a full deck. So you're always dealing with whatever's in your deck, at any time. And whenever you're making your choices, and which you make a lot of, you're always making choices, micro-choices, macro-choices, you're always choosing. And while you're making those choices, even the choice to be in this class or to tune into this class online, whenever you're making those choices, you're doing it based on your current, you know, sechel, your current uh, mm-hmm. intellect. Sometimes you're in a state of clarity, and sometimes you're not. Sometimes God's showing you the light, and sometimes it's dark. But you still have to make your choices during those days. And what happens is, some, when we have regret, it's always a regret that's based on a lack of clarity back then, when, whatever it is, I regret. And since now, I already recognized that it was just simply a lack of clarity. So now I don't have to regret it anymore. I Meaning it's enough to feel that moment. That's it. You're done. You did it. You regretted it. And if it were to present itself again, if that same situation presented itself again, would you do it? Now, with clarity? I mean, now that you got the clarity, and now the situation came your way, would you do it? Mm-hmm. No, of course you wouldn't do it. Now you got the clarity. And this is all part of the, the Truva process and, and a lot to do with our relationship with God. Yeah. Well, what if you did have clarity and did not anyway? Yeah, yeah. So, so there are people like that, um, especially in our generation. We these days we have a lot of young people, and even older people. I call them the the adults at risk. We have a lot of people who have clarity and betray their own clarity, like they go against their own clarity, um, which is you know that's a highly impulsive thing to do. <laughs> That's a highly impulsive, that's being very impulsive to to have clarity what not to do and to do it anyway. It's a nice spot right next to this guy here. To have clarity and to do something anyway is, oh yeah, that's that's your spot. To have clarity and to do something anyway is, it's not just a lack of clarity, now you're insane. You understand? So it's like, it's even worse than a lack of clarity. You know, there's having a lack of clarity in doing something stupid do because you thought it was the way to go. But then there's knowing it's not the way to go, but you're really insane, and you do it anyway. So doing something anyway is total insanity. Like now you're just completely crazy. Which again, is it gets you back to the fact that you don't have to deal with the regrets so much because you were crazy. You were crazy you were totally crazy now um, just to go a little deeper on that is there's a reason why you were so crazy the reason we sometimes do something totally insane and crazy against our better judgment even though we have enough clarity to know it's wrong the reason why we do that is is, is the most fulfilling thing that you can never fulfill and you think, will there ever be a point in your life where you'll say I've got a relationship with God like we're like that no one can ever say that. It's, it's an infinite being. Whatever your aberration of your relationship with God is can be a million miles away from, from what it might be two years from now. And then you'll laugh about two years ago. You'll never, ever get to a point where you get credit cards, whether it be with internet access, whether it be with uh, mail ordering, like the uh, whether, you know, even commerce. I know people who never leave their home and they're making lots of money just doing e-commerce. You know, they got some warehouse somewhere where some guy's filling orders, and they just never leave their home. They just sit there on on Amazon and sell stuff. Today things are achievable much quicker. So it goes like this without the crime. And you achieve it. And then guess what guess what else is much steeper now? Yeah, the law of diminishing returns is much sharper. Now, what happens is, people when they're young and dumb can fool themselves into wanting something and getting it, which comes quick, everything comes pretty quick today, except for like university degrees, but I have a feeling university degrees are going to go the way of the, uh, what do they say, the way of the Eskimo, the way of the, what do they say, the way, of the, what, what went in st- extinct, it's a cliché, it's, it's going to the way of the dodo, <laughs> whatever. It's going to disappear. Because think about it, why would anyone spend, first of all, years, when we're trained to get things quick, why would anyone spend years to get a degree in a workforce that doesn't care that much at this point? And there's no guarantee anyway that your degree is getting you a job anywhere. And you spend, how much, uh, anyone know how much a university degree is for four years these days? $200,000. Like $200,000? Right, and every, when you can just focus on what you're good at and contribute, and God's the one who made you good at it, because God wants you to contribute that to the planet, and God precedes universities. Well, I'm really good at sitting and drinking coffee, but that's not going to make me a living. That's the only thing yeah, you're good at. I, you know, sometimes you I, learn I am the master. I am the master of monetizing. I could figure out how you can sit yeah. and drink coffee and make it a living doing it. <laughs> if there's doing? anyone who could do it, you're good at a lot of things, you can't. great, that's even easier. <laughs> even easier. You're, you need to speak to a monetizer. I help people monetize their what they do. I mean, whatever you're good at, I can get you making money doing it. And I just think so out of the box, and people literally will spend money on crazy stuff that you're good at. And you just need someone to help monetize it. And it's hard for us to rem- remember that what we are good at is worth people's money. But all it takes is to speak to someone who's good at that, and they'll show you how, what you're good at. You're going to make a fortune, <laughs> or at least pay bills. So <laughs> but monetizing what you're good at, I've got some really funny examples. Let me see. That Nothing's come to me now, but things I've gotten uh, people to help suddenly make money off of Nothing's coming to mind right now. But you name it. Like, uh, you mentioned you're good at sitting and drinking. That's what you're good at? Come on. It was an example. You like sitting and drinking coffee, like? I'm really good at it. You're really, I'm good, really good at it? i really good, yeah. <laughs> you good at making it? No. You're just good at sitting and drinking it's coffee. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. so you could probably, oh, if you sat in a good coffee shop yeah. in Jerusalem and we ne- we got your name out there, that you are good for a good cup of coffee to sit and talk to somebody, you're good at schmoozing during the cup? Very good at that. Very, very good, she said. Yeah. So I'll tell you the truth. If I'm going to sit and drink a cup of coffee, which, how much is a good cappuccino these days in a coffee shop, like a, a gourmet coffee shop? 15? Fifteen? Fifteen Fifteen? Fifteen? So, I would definitely pay fifty for it if I could talk to you during the cup of coffee. We'll set it up. Not me. <laughs> I'm a acidic man. <laughs> acidic men don't drink cups of coffee with strange women. Okay? No offense. So, you know, you're gonna, you'll give, you'll give them, they'll do the coffee for ten. You'll put in five for the coffee. They'll give it to you for ten because you're the one bringing the customers. Look at me lining up to have coffee. How would you market that? Uh, that's a word of mouth. That's just a word of mouth. I'll just keep getting it out there. Okay? Um, now watch this. This is going to freak you guys out. Check out this. you See this structure? Now, do you see how somebody spends years trying to achieve something and then later it diminishes... You could see how people would like, that would be the culture. Everyone's working towards things. And then you get it, and then it slowly, you know, dwindles. But when things dwindle quickly, do you see how it gets harder to convince yourself to motivate towards a goal? Because you just came off a goal yesterday. You just came down that steep slope yesterday from something else you got. Richard, have you ever felt the feeling like, why bother with anything because I'm already and it's not always products but can watch this could be friendships Oops, I went too wide. Now. Look at this graphic on the board. This graphic, am I on the screen still? Yeah, uh... Yeah. No, don't turn it. Just say yes or no. Yes. yes. I'm still there? Yes. He says no. Right in the corner. Right at the-, the, right the edge. <laughs> 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 you could fool yourself here to go after something that's just going to get you right back down a couple hours later. You can fool yourself here. Maybe you can fool yourself here. After a while, though, it starts to get hard to fool yourself. Just out of the way we can achieve things quickly, you have a loss of motivation. Now add marijuana, which is the most famous motivation killer. Pain in the heart from other issues, meaning emotional issues, absentee parenting and stuff. God-sized hole in the heart. impulsive behavior to try to fill the God-sized hole where I'm doing the wrong things even though I know it's the wrong thing and I'm still doing it because I have some other need there's some deeper need I have that I'm going to try to get fulfilled through something plastic and temporal and even wrong but somehow it fulfills it for the moment. You'll notice that anyone who has some clarity and does the wrong thing, that that there is some some part of that thing they're doing that fulfills a very, very deep need inside of them. And, and of course, is it really fulfilling it? Does it really fulfill it? Yes or no? It doesn't at all. And in fact, it causes the Hole in the heart to get wider because now I've started to breach my own moral code. I, I'm breaching internally. You see, breaching moral code, breaching the doing, breaching one's code has two aspects to it. There's external moral code, and then there's internal moral code. External moral code is taira. Torah is external. It's an actual code. It's out there. I mean, it's in the shelves. It's, you know, it's in the Talmud. That's external moral code. And then there's internal moral code. It's when you have a, a certain contract with yourself about your behavior. And these are not things you ever want to mess with. Now, external moral code, you don't want to mess with because, you, because it kind of, you know... It's a breach of your contract with God. An internal moral code is a breach of your contract with yourself. Speaking of this, the, um, people who are raised secular ha- only have an internal moral code. You know, besides, like, wait for the light before you drive, the, the external moral code's not that part of their lives. I mean, what moral code is there? A couple times until you realize never to go there. People who are raised observant are raised with an external moral code, and uh, I can hold up, Have an External moral code, and if they breach the external moral code, meaning, let's say, they're no longer. I don't want to keep this stuff anymore. I'm done with that, Tara. Stuff. So what's left is what? The internal. The internal moral code, but it doesn't exist. Because you never get to it. You've been so busy being so good all these years that you never, ever, ever met it. Your real internal moral code. A little like, for example, you pretended to wash your hands one day while the family was at the table. And you came back for almost, okay, so. You met it a little bit. in that, you know, you felt that feeling of like, that was just between you and God and you blew it. You know, you, you just didn't wash your hands. You pretended you did. You know, something weird like that. But otherwise, otherwise if someone who's keeping Torah never gets to meet the world of, of, of internal breach. And what happens is if they stop keeping Torah, they don't have the muscles or the code. They don't have the internal red line. And this is why people who are raised observant, well, well if, they follow, if they go away from Torah, they can fall very far in weeks and do things a secular-raised person would never do, because they have the internal red line. The secular person has internal red lines, and so they keep that moral contract with themselves, dear. Whereas someone raised observant who drops their observance can, can and do, sadly, fall very, very far, in a matter of days, really, because they, they don't have any red lines that are, have been built up over years of trial and error out there in the secular world. And the sad thing is is that when they need to come for help, now that they're in deep pain, the family often will... Sh- uh, many families will push them away for having uh, betrayed the, you know, the family traditions and the observance. And, and, uh, and that gets really scary, because now they have... They're rock bottom on their own life, and their support groups no longer being supportive, and so all they've got left is, these, you know, really, you know, bottom of the barrel situations that are left. Okay, I see a couple questions here. Boom. Can you give an example of the of a secular inner code? Moral code, uh, and because I would assume that as an observant person that like say my inner code and exterior code are the same is based on Torah and it's pretty much the same exact thing and it could be that you weren't raised Haredi we raised Haredi no so Haredim are a little different than modern Orthodox. you were probably given the chance to go out there and like test the waters of life and you know see how you feel not really no? no not really I'm his mother. I was raised Charedi. Mm-hmm. So, okay, maybe yours—maybe yours is stronger. But there's a lot of—I meet a lot of people who are raised in a strict environment who have no clue of what's wrong or right inside their hearts. I don't know. Um, and would, so, the second they leave Torah, they're gone. Like, I, they're know, they, I would say that most of the mitzvot are, anyways, been a adam lechaverol. And so anyways, that's how to treat a fellow human. That's, I would say that that's maybe what you're uh, inferring to the inner code of, uh, of what a secular person, an observant person is. I like what you're saying. You did a good yeah. job with it. That, that was my question also. Is I feel like the Torah is inclusive, so it has to be giving you that inner code also. It's giving you both, really. I okay, so, just set it up in a way that you don't have the tools like, are supposed to give you the tools right to yeah and I, I think what's happened is, um, is there's uh, there's a way to do it right and then there's people doing it wrong meaning they're teaching it wrong they're sending the messages down as like this is what we do and just shut up <laughs> yeah. meaning not to give the the children the sense of uh, ownership in the in the observance Cause there are some Jews who who never leave and who are making decisions
1: based on their internal moral code. There
0: are many, yeah. But that's they're raised nicely. My kids are like Haredi kids who who I really let them go feel it out. and like They can go feel out the world and and learn to feel integrated inside in their internal code. So it's an automatic pilot? What? So they're not on automatic pilot? Yeah, but there's many, many kids are just like... Wow. Yeah, it's, and it's usually the more, um, if they're from like a more powerful dynasty, so the dynasty is kind of the, you know, more powerful Torah dynasty that they're part of, that dynasty becomes kind of what everything's about. And it's not about your own experience of it. Yeah. Okay, so for me, I think I fit into that category of um, doing, because so I was religious and then. Not religious, and I was like extremely, not extremely religious. I was, it wasn't radical, but I was like very much. I thought I had a very strong inner code. I thought I did. I was the most honest you can get. I was would never take a thing from anybody if I didn't know who was. And then when I went off, I everything fell apart, and I didn't have any moral. I felt like I didn't have any moral code. I thought I was lost almost. And I was growing in a family where my parents basically were very much like do this, do this, do this. You know, very much like not letting us make our choices. Like. So I guess the question is, what to do? What to do? Yeah, what's next? Like, well, what do you do to get that inner coat? Well, you've been out there testing the waters. I'm sure you're developing it now. You're probably very less lost than when you first. Came yeah. Out. Was, yeah. No, no so I'm back. You're, you're, you're learning. You're learning the ropes now through experience. Yeah. Look where you are now. You're here. You're obviously something's going right. Yeah. So you're, you're experiencing. Okay, I want to get back to regret because that was the subject of our class. Um, part of regret is guilt. We have to deal with the guilt subjects. So part of feeling regret over um, making bad moves in life or not making right moves that we could have made is guilt. Why? Because we know there's a God who's, you know, judging our actions. And, you know... So there's a certain there's a certain level of guilt that like how can I be in a relationship with God after I did X Y and Z? Hear that question? How do I have a relationship with God after I did whatever I did? Which could be you know a whole bunch of things that someone can get involved in, and how are you supposed to not feel crippled, paralyzed by guilt? Over that, meaning, is there any room left in the relationship after my betrayal? So it's not just regret, it's also a guilty feeling that can and guilty feelings can get in the way of the relationship. Someone who's never sinned is going to have one relationship with God, and someone who has sinned is gonna feel like very far away from God. And we also have a saying. I don't know why I keep wanting to write diagonal lines on the board but we also have a saying that that the um, that where a bal stands a total tzaddik could never stand you ever heard that saying? where a Baal stands a tzaddik gamar can never stand so let me show you that let me show you that one so it works like this, here's the line the opposite way. You have two best friends who do everything together. And they're growing in Torah and mitzvahs and they're sadikim. They never do any sins. Sadik A, sadik B. But what happens is sadik B, what does it mean sadik? Sadik means in this particular um, pasuk, uh, where it talks about sadikim, it's talking about someone who never sins. And yeah, that's it, sadik, never sins. Now, Sadiq B has this kind of loss of clarity. He goes at, he. Remember what we spoke about that we can only sin due to a lack of clarity. Mm-hmm. And then we we also because you mentioned that you can even sin with clarity, but that's because you have this hole in your heart that you're trying to fill. I mean, you, it's the sin's supposed to somehow patch up some other issue. Now, Sadiq B falls hard. Boom. He falls hard. And now. If Sadik B tries to pick himself back up, it's going to look over. It's going to be over here, hardly at Sadik. Okay, so now you got A guy. Here. This is B guy. This is A guy. See what's happened? And so now the guy who never left yeshiva and he never went for that trip to Tel Aviv and never, <laughs> right? The guy who didn't fall on Benyehuda Street. When I'm down here. Now, let's just say when he gets to here, or anywhere along this line, he says to himself or herself, she says, I feel so distant. I feel distant. Have you guys ever felt distance from God? Like like he did something that made you feel distance? Oh thank you. Any of you ever felt distant from God? Like you did something stupid and you felt a great distance. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for this? He feels a great distance. And suddenly, he just goes like... Like that. I'll explain in a minute. And then he goes... Now he's back on this trajectory. Now it says that the Sadik Gomer, this is guy B here, that the Sadik, this guy A and B together, growing up together. It says that where Bal Teshuvah stands, the Sadik Gomer could never stand. What happened here, at this spot right here, what happened there? Did he have a great clarity of his relationship with God right there? Of who God was for him? So this is the loss of clarity. Because there's no way to sin without a loss of clarity or total insanity as we discussed. What's this point right here? What would I write here? What I would write right here is the pain of disconnect. Disconnect. This is the pain of disconnect right here. I have totally disconnected myself from God. That's the pain of disconnect. What is this line here? What's this whole trajectory here? What's this line here? The reconnection. It's called yearning. Mm -hmm. Never underestimate the power of yearning. Yearning is what it's all about. Pining for God. Yearning. There's a great yearning right here. There's a pain of a disconnect and a yearning for connection. Yearning for connection is... That's like... That's worth everything to God. Now, here's the question. Does does guy A... Can guy A... sadi A... Can God, can Sadik A ever experience yearning like that? Without loss, without loss. yeah, just going, going down the road. He and should, road. He, because how he defined your relationship with God is that you always should be reaching. I'm not saying home. he's not yearning. I'm saying this kind of yearning. Mm-hmm. Can no. he ever experience that kind of yearning? No, he can never do that. Now we're just calling him Sadiq. I mean, he's not treating his relationship with God like his old undershirt, right. which many people do who are, you know, always doing the right things. He's got yearning. He's a tzaddik. But could he ever have the yearning of his friend who fell hard? He can never yearn like that. Now, listen carefully. God is much more interested in your heart than in your actions. God's more interested in your heart than in your actions. For example, some guy at the Koto goes down there with his tefillin, and he puts on this tefillin are just regular tefillin. These are like twenty five hundred dollars tefillin, like six times the price of tefillin. And he just puts them on. He knows the. He says the special kavanot, special in, intentions, and then he he says the blessing perfectly. He puts it right where it belongs, based on a chart that he has open on the table, and then he. He's got it on, and everything's good. And he takes his mirror. He's got a little mirror un- glued onto the bottom of the tefillin box to see that it's perfectly centered. Touches that the hair follicles are under the tefillin. Meanwhile, some guy next to him comes up. He's bawling. He's he's just just shaking away at this mitzvah of tefillin. The tefillin are like he's got them on the wrong side of his arm. They're half the black is already brown it's meaning it needs repainting the the leather straps are only half black as well he puts 5 around his arm instead of 7 the guy didn't even know what he's doing we get to see this when you live when you're by the coattail you see the most amazing things when you're down there so he, he's got 5 instead of 7 loops around the arm the head to fill in is also like you know like it can't even possibly be kosher and the uh, and the um, you know he's got it on his forehead like instead of above the hair follicles, a little to the right, you know. And he's just like saying Shema. Like, he's saying Shema. He's saying Shema like someone's got a gun to his head. And and the guy who's got a gun to his head said, don't say Shema. I'll kill you. So he's going to die. Meaning he's saying Shema. No, he's saying Shema anyway. and going to die doing it. And meanwhile the other guy is like, you know, he's got his shh <coughs> like he's got the onion pronounced properly, and he's got his filling on right. Whose heart? Now obviously the guy's not doing things right, the second guy. So it's not a perfect analogy because he's not he barely or maybe doesn't even have a mitzvah to fill. But whose heart does God? God, you think God needs you in leather boxes? <laughs> like God's missing your leather box experience? God's an infinite being; He doesn't need your leather boxes. He's given you an opportunity to serve Him with leather boxes. You have that opportunity, and you get that mitzvah. But the mitzvah is only going to be based on the heart's experience of the of the mitzvah. You understand, like. For the feeling going on your arm, he can put a check. But the feeling in your heart while you're doing it is what fills the with That's the midst Is the experience of it. So the guy doing everything wrong has a perfect heart. A broke because there's nothing more full than a broken heart. He's got, the, he's got the perfect heart. He's got all the yearning down. Whereas Mr. Calm, cool, collected, dot your I's, cross your T's, you know, tefillin chart guy. This little handy mirror, which, by the way, I do all that stuff. Meaning, I'm I'm super careful with my mitzvahs, like precision, accuracy, all the way. But I, but I, that's just to get the check. Now, now I'm in. So once I'm in, here comes the yearning. So now I'm going into the yearning because the yearning is the only the yearning is the actual mitzvah. Because God doesn't need me in leather boxes. That doesn't do anything for God. God's given me something by me being able to serve him. And by the way, ladies, you should never be jealous because the only way you were born a woman is because you've already done the man thing in a previous incarnation. Meaning, been there, done that. Been there, done that. That's why women are so much more mature than men. It's because of like... I tried that already. Now God's brought me as a woman. You know, and, and most women, by the way, if they're in traditional roles, are supporting actresses. Uh, for their star husband, and, you know, and of course, hopefully he's a respectable guy and you're trying not to laugh, but the, uh, that that's a sign of maturity. If you're playing a support role, it's a sign of maturity, and a woman who, who you know, like today's women who just refuse to play that support role are are going to miss something big because they were given to be women, and given to be a woman means you have the maturity, to not have to mark every lamppost you walk by like a dog, like a man who like, can't stand the fact that he's not better known in the world. You know, if, if, so a woman is born with the maturity to know that what matters is what's happening now, not that somehow my reputation's you know precedes me. Okay, um, given that uh, we're basically, you guys got the idea. Of where this stands so and i just want to say about the emotion of regret because i brought it up regarding the emotion of regret is that you can't surprise god meaning when you do something wrong if you sin do you think god goes like this like don't i can't i just can't believe it how could she have done it? how could can you think god does that god who's outside of time god who arranges all reality you think God can be surprised by a sin? There's nothing you can do that surprises God. So, if you're feeling guilty, it's not because God can't handle what you did. It's, if you're feeling guilty, it's only because you have an immature concept of God. There's nothing you can do that surprises God, and there's nothing you can do that, that God didn't set up in the first place. You had free will, but God's the one who set up all the circumstances. And so, and so, you know, guilt's not going to be appropriate once you understand who God really is. Shalom, everyone. Never You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.